0: Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. Thanks for listening and enjoy. And we're always happy to have James Elroy here. We've had him here several times, and he's always, we always tell people, you guys gotta come check him out. Uh, He's very near and dear to the store. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome James Elroy. (laughs) Good evening motherfuckers. Thank you for coming. I realized that you had options tonight. You could have stayed home, indulged your drug habits, (laughs) attended to your sex lives, and your fatuous worship of President Barack Obama and you didn't. You came here to see me and I am nothing but grateful. T. S. Eliot wrote, if you came this way, starting from anywhere, at any time, and in any season. It would always be the same. You would have to put off sense and notion. You are not here to instruct yourself or to inform curiosity or to carry report. You are here to kneel where prayer has been proven valid. And for me, James Elroy, the death dog of American literature, What better place to bow my head in prayer than a place like skylight which worships the printed word on paper to the exclusion of cyberspace and the internet invaders. Anne Sexton wrote, My friend, my friend, I was born doing reference work in sin and born confessing it. This is what poems are with mercy for the greedy. They are the tongue's wrangle, the world's pottage, the rat's star. Tonight you get the wrangle, the pottage, and I hit you to my star. More pertinently, T.S. Eliot wrote, who then Devise the torment. Love is the unfamiliar name behind the hands that wove the intolerable shirt of flame which human power cannot remove. We only live, only suspire, consumed by either fire or fire. Eliot was writing about the sacred conjunction of men and women, and about sex, and this book is about my five-decade-long search for she, her, the other. It is a book with a happy ending, a non sequitur in my overall career. If you fuck up persistently and you try for discernment, sooner or later you may get lucky. (laughs) A swoony swami said this, take note of what you are seeking, for it is seeking you. That dictum circumscribes the journey that informs the 54,312 words of this text. Tonight I will read Three short excerpts, after which I would welcome the most invasively over personal questions <laughs> that each and every one of you peepers, prowlers, petter ass pedants, <laughs> panty sniffers, punks, and pimps has for me. Ladies and gentlemen, the Hilliker curse. So women will love me. I invoked the curse a half century ago. It defines my life from my 10th birthday on. The near immediate results have kept me in near continuous dialogue and redress. I write stories to console her as a phantom. She is ubiquitous and never familiar. Other women loom flesh and blood. They have their stories. Their touch has saved me in varying increments and allowed me to survive my insane appetite and ambition. They have withstood my recklessness and predation. I have resisted their rebukes. My storytelling gifts are imperviously strong and rooted in the moment that I wished her dead and mandated her murder. Women give me the world and hold the world tenuously safe for me. I cannot. Go to them to find her much longer. My obsessive will is too stretched. Their story must eclipse hers in volume and content. I must honor them and distinguish each one from her. My pursuit has been both raw and discerning. The latter comforts me now. There were always grace notes in with the hunger. It has been a fever dream. I must decorously decode it. They are all gone now. I'm unbodied without them. If I address them with candor, they'll cut me loose of the fury. My grasp may recede to a touch in retrospect. I'll find the answer in dreams and waking flashes. They'll find me alone and talk to me in the dark. Madison, Wisconsin was lake bound and penguin shit cold. A snow covered field flanked Aunt Leota's house. I got into a snowball fight the first day. An ice crusted ball busted up my face and loosened some wobbly teeth. I holed up in a back bedroom and brooded. My cousins were off being happy kids at Christmas. Gene Hilliker was off with plain Jane, Aunt Leoda and porky Uncle Ed. Uncle Ed sold Buicks. My mother purchased a red and white sedan from him. The plan? Drive the fucker back to L.A. after New Year's. I brooded. The practice entailed long stints alone in the dark. I thought about girls then. I brain screened girls I had seen at school and at church. It was a pure visual panoply. I did not impose storylines. I have formally brooded through to this moment. I lie in the dark, shut my eyes, and think. I think about women primarily. I quite often tremble and sob. My heart swells in sync with women's faces merged with improvised stories. History intercedes. Great public events run counterpoint to deep human love. Women glimpsed for half seconds carry a spiritual weight equal to my long-term lovers. Bum, fuck, Wisconsin was a drag. My mouth hurt. That fucking snowball sliced my lips. I couldn't kiss Christine Nelson from school. My dad said he knew a TV babe named Chris Nelson. She was married to a hebe named Louis Quinn. Chris was a nympho. She flashed her snatch at him at some movie biz party. The adults came home. My mother brought me a library book. It was wholesome kids' fair full of mystical shit. It pertained to witchcraft, spells, and curses. My mother turned the bedroom lights on. I had to read rather than brood. The fucking book jazzed me I tore through at Quicksville, it felt like it was written for me. The mystical jive derived from my ancestral home of bumfuck Great Britain. Magic potions abounded, warlocks guzzled secret brews and had visions. This wowed the incipient booze hound and dope fiend in me. The overall text buttressed religious lore I believed in then and believe in today. There is a separate world we cannot see. It exists separately and concurrently with the real world. You enter this world by the offering of prayer and incantation. You live in this world wholly within your mind. You dispel the real world through enforced mental discipline. You rebuff the real world through your enforced mental will. Your interior world will give you what you want and what you need to survive. I believed it then. I believe it now. My many years in the dark have confirmed it as a primary article of faith. I was nine then. I'm 62 now. The real world has frequently intruded on my spells in the dark. That book formally sanctioned me to lie still and conjure women. I did it then. I do it still. That book described the destructive power of formal invective. The notion of the curse did not feel prophetic in late 1957. It was simply a footnote to my license to fantasize. I have a superbly honed memory. My time in the dark has enhanced my process of minutely detailed recollection. My mental ruthlessness asserted itself early on I needed a curse just a few months later. I was insolently well prepared. I said, you knew before I did. That's what gets me. She said, you're saying that you always know before the woman does. I said yes. She said it's called projection. It's why standard gender roles have remained in place for eons. I said I hate to consider myself predictable. Oh, you're not. Your single-mindedness is so furious that it recasts projection and puts you in an entirely different league. And you knew that? Immediately. That first day we met? Instantly. I said, you were married. You had two daughters. She said, when has that ever stopped you? I said, you might have considered it a pathologically ingrained pattern. She said, your pathology is possessed of grandeur. I appreciated that. I said, your marriage is my friend Karen's marriage. You married a safe guy and went for the okie doke It's called projection, and it's why standard gender roles have remained in place for eons. She said, Thank you for patronizing me without sufficient knowledge of my husband and daughters. I said, I've always wanted a daughter. She said, yes, I know that. When did you figure it out? The second day I met you. A year later? Yes. We discussed daughters that time. She said, it wasn't the topic of discussion. It was your eyes. I said, divorce your fruit husband and marry me. She said, don't recycle your old married lover shtick. I shook my head and said, we aren't lovers. She said, no, and we probably never will be. I said, we're blowing our vibe, let's get back to you knew before I did. She said, I thought that is the only man I have ever met who is as love hungry as me. each and every one of you buy 1,000 copies of this book tonight, you will be able to have unlimited sex with each and every person on this earth that you desire every night for the rest of your lives. If each and every one of you buy 2,000 copies of this book tonight, You'll be able to have sex with each and every person on this earth that you desire every night for the rest of your lives and still get into heaven as the result of a special dispensation signed by me, the Reverend Elroy. If each and every one of you buy 3,000 copies of this fucking book, you get all that sex, you get into heaven, and for the first time in history, East Hollywood will rule the world. (laughs) You heard it here first off the record on the QT, and very Uh, hush uh, uh, hush. Questions? Yeah, boss. You said in the Paris Review interview earlier this year that you owned the 1950s L.A. And yeah. You wrote about it before you did. You took it from there. Yeah. So do you think, unless you get back to it, is it here to stay? Is it like the Old West? Is it like Victoria, England? Can people who didn't live through it write about it? Or what's going to happen to 50 L.A.? There God? will always be a guy who will come along and eclipse you. Very few artists are uneclipsable. There are two that come to mind most frequently. The greatest artist of all time, Ludwig von Beethoven, and yours truly, James Elroy. (laughs) Beethoven owns music. I own a certain aspect of LA. Had a long break in between Cold 6000 and whatnot. Yeah, hour. yeah. You get into a lot of what went on in the, in the new book. Yeah. Um, but you had a break between Tabloid 6002, so do you I wrote My Dark Places. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that the breaks are going to get longer? Do you need that time now? No, I need, need the money. So <laughs> get <short>. Alimony, taxes. <laughs> yeah. So, so Brother Obama gonna be taxing my ass down to the dime on the dollar. I got to pay my taxes. No. There will be shorter and shorter breaks. And I will write greater and greater books (laughs) at a faster and faster clip. Because I'm a capitalist. And when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Yes? In uh, a recent interview you did with the A.B. Club. What's the A.B. Club? Club? What's A.V. Club? It's uh, Keith Spring Phipps. Ryan. Keith Phipps in Chicago. Oh, whatever. On the phone. Oh. oh, yeah, I remember him. Good guy. Yeah. Phoner, yeah. You uh, talked about how you preferred dialectics over compatibility. Right, right, right. This book is dedicated to a woman named Erica Schickel. Erika Schickel and I circumscribe passion, dialectic, in many ways diametrically opposed worldviews. We are Beethoven in our souls. We are reckless. We are heedless. We are filled with deep passion and bottomless need. What do you want, Jack? big, 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 big passion, or someone who likes the same kind of movies as you? Your choice. Someone who likes the same movies? You need some fucking crystal meth, sister. Yeah. Pardon me? It leads to great Yeah, yeah. I watched a lot of movies in my 20s and 30s. I wasn't capable of great passion then. I sure as shit thought about it a lot. And I masturbated a great deal. (laughs) Then I started having relationships with women. And they all paled before the woman that I dedicated this book to. Right? It's a book for the whole family. If the name of your fucking family is the Manson family, Questions? Man first, woman second. <laughs> what, am what am I writing next? I am writing the second L.A. Quartet. Oh, oh, wow. The first L.A. Quartet, The Black Guy of The Big Knower, L.A. Confidential, and White Jazz cover 1947 to 1959, the underworld US trilogy, American Tabloid, The Cold 6,000, and Blood's a Rover, 58 to 72. I am taking characters from those two series and putting them in LA during World War II as younger men and women. The first book will be LA, The Month of Pearl Harbor. It's a book for the whole family. <laughs> <laughs> if the name of your family is Admiral Yamamoto. <laughs> Admiral Yamamoto said something great, though. What did he say? Does anyone know? Oh, yes. The day after Pearl Harbor, Yamamoto knew it was over. He said, What I fear we have done is to waken a sleeping giant. And fill him with a terrible resolve. The second La Quartet is my love song to America. Next question. Yes. How did you meet her? Read the Hilker curse. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. Read the. I don't want to. F- there's 150. I don't want to fuck it up for everybody. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure that was in the book. It's in the book. Trust me. Why back to LA? Why back to LA? Why would I come back here? It's where I come when women divorce me. I didn't know where else to go. I have so many friends on the Los Angeles Police Department that I can kill people who give me bad (laughs) reviews with (laughs) impunity. Why live anywhere else? And why back in the writing as well, write about it again? When you know, you know. The LA Quartet, the earlier novels, my two memoirs, my books of journalism, short fiction, I want to live imaginatively in L.A. the rest of my life. Um, where in L.A. do you, or what neighborhood do you, like, if you don't come back to, like, where is your career? Where do I live now? You live in L.A. I live in L.A. now, yeah, yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess where you live <laughs> I live south of Hollywood on the edge of Hancock Park. Yeah. Shittsville, USA. <laughs> woman over here. So, uh, first off, thanks for introducing me to uh, quite interesting vocabulary early on. Thank you. It was enjoyable. But more off, I want to know where you got it from. Like, was that something, this kind of lingo, something that was around your home? Or is this something, an infatuation that you have that you grew, grew to love? I read and read and read and read and read and read and read. I read crime books almost exclusively. I got into trouble as a kid for various Mickey Mouse misdemeanors. I credit the Los Angeles Police Department for kicking my ass on three notable occasions, saving my ass. The only group of people that I have ever empathized with as a bureaucracy, as an agency, has been the Los Angeles Police Department, because I knew that I was wrong. That I was committing misdeeds and engaging misconduct and I felt very very bad about it and in the early nineteen seventies I read the work of Joseph Wambaugh before the LA policeman turned novelist and he made me ashamed of my life and LA cops and I say this as the son of a murdered mother are the only motherfuckers on earth who hate men who fuck over women and children as much as I do. And unlike me, I just write about it. They actually go out and do something about it. So, now I have a theme and a task, and I have been writing about L.A. crime ever since. I love Yiddish, I love racial invective. I love jive talk. I love bullshit sessions at the Gold Cup in Hollywood Boulevard syphilitic, dying of AIDS, drag queens at 3 a.m. bullshitting with LA cops. That kind of shit is funny to me. (laughs) Call me perverted. Many have. <laughs> uh, I was wondering, what, what's your opinion of the uh, book L.A. Noir and how the L.A.P.D. was portrayed in that first off, have you read it? No, no, no. <laughs> no as I understand it, and a friend of mine who is the head of the L.A.P.D. Historical Society, Glenn Martin back there retired detective with L.A.P.D. he and I find it, Glenn read it I skim jobbed it. The whole notion that William H. Parker, the greatest police chief in Los Angeles history and Mickey Cohen defined Los Angeles in the 20th century is specious. So far as we both know, it's doubtful that they ever met in person. Glenn, am I correct? As as I know. Good. Good. I'll buy that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in the book, you you sort of poo poo your journalism and short stories that you did in the past. Um, do you foresee doing that kind of work in the future at all? No, no, no. I don't poo poo journalism. I redress my character defects in writing my book, My Dark Places, because I reinvestigated my mother's death and knew going in we would not find the killer and I knew as a seasoned dramatist already that the book had to portray my arc of reconciliation with her I redress that imbalance in this book. My mother and I comprise not a crime story, but a love story. You got a TV show coming up? Is that going to happen? Yeah, it's going to happen. My show, James L. Roy's LA City of Demons, will debut on the Discovery Channel in the winter. I am the star, the personality, the narrator. I write every single word. There are archival crimes, historical footage. There are more current crimes. I offer my extremely right-wing pro-police opinions at great, great length. And I have a sidekick who is a talking police dog, who is based on my dog, Barco, who we will see on the other side. Barco wears a spike collar and an LAPD badge on a chain around his neck. He is corrupt. He talks. He's a dope sniffing dog at the airport. He sniffs the shit, and we drive to South Central together and sell this shit to hophead hounds. He is a computer generated dog. I swear to you this is no fucking shit. I do not own a computer. The Discovery Channel does. Probably half a dozen A few years ago, I asked you who the biggest asshole you ever caddy for was, and I said, Campbell. Now, later, I'm, I'm curious who the nicest person you ever caddy for Bill was. Vera Fawcett was very nice. May she rest in peace. Yeah. And secondly, are you enjoying the City of Bell stuff right now? I know nothing about what's going on in the city of Bell. I don't read newspapers, I don't go on the internet, I don't watch TV, I don't go to movies, I ignore the world. It allows me to live in LA the month of Pearl Harbor with that much greater acuity. Ask me about Pearl Harbor, I'll have some answers. Pardon me? No. No. Pardon me? Lots of groovy shit. And when you read my book in three years, you're going to know all about it. Has the uh, curse been lifted? Yes. So do you feel reconciled with your mom now, or is there more to say? My mother may appear as a rookie Navy nurse the month of Pearl Harbor having an adulterous love affair with soon to be Chief William H Parker. (laughs) When in doubt, rewrite history to your own specifications. (laughs) Make sure everyone that you write about is dead or they will sue your ass. Are you still waiting for Clinton to prove to whip out your book? Clinton does not look good. (laughs) I think Clinton is on the sauce and his days are numbered. I wish no one dead. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah? I was going to ask about that. You said right about the dead people. Because you have, one of the stories where you have Sammy Davis Jr. and, uh, you know, Frank Sinatra. Uh, Tijuana Mono Moore, yeah. Yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy yeah. crazy shit, yeah. If they're dead, nobody Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't die. I'll write about you. But before you die, give me a fucking hair transplant. Because of my charisma and your hair, I'd run the world. Three more questions. Yes? Do you see yourself um, writing about um, more recent years, like going past 72? No. No. 1972 concludes. It's the end of my chronology as a historical novelist. Why those three passages? They are indicative of the moral and spiritual thrust of the book. When in doubt, read short, read to the point, interact with the folks Who wants to see someone read for 40 minutes, ham and haw, scratch their balls, lose their place, cough, take sips of water, apologize for losing their place, and do everything sure to take a shit on stage? (laughs) (laughs) Or do you want someone, 12 minutes, in and out, let's get to it? What do you want? The latter, right? Right. The would be interesting. (laughs) <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Yes, woman over here. So now that you've reached the hill of this earth, you're not avoiding, uh, that dark. So now that you've kind of reached a, uh, an agreement with the women the, the female race, uh, are you going? Are your newer books, such as Monty Pearl Harbor*, going to still have that darkness, that tainted, that taintedness, or do you think you might have an altered perspective? Life is consciousness. Great human love will only expand your consciousness. If your consciousness expands, you will write greater, deeper, more spiritual, dare I say it, more profound books. That is my intention. Two more questions. Yes. Did you ever put: uh, the Manson family in your No. Manson family is a snore. I don't care they don't vibrate my vindaloo yes the the hillside strangler does not vibrate my vindaloo no yes yeah well, Angelo Bona, one of the two, died in 2002 and it's a damn fucking shame that Ken Bianchi never went to the green room. Say Laguerre. Maybe somebody will shiv him on the prison yard. Who knows? One can only hope. Yes? Uh, is there any part of LA still feels like or looks like LA or whatever? Frankly, no. Come on, a couple more. Yeah, man in the back. Have you visited all the locations that you've written about all the addresses in your uh, old car? No, no, no. Here's the truth. I make most of this shit up. (laughs) It's what people don't want to hear. No, no, you don't get it. I wasn't born during Pearl Harbor. I make most of this shit up. Two more questions. (laughs) Darling, yes. I'm just wondering, do we have any opportunity to see you and this mysterious woman on stage locally in the next couple of days, say in the West Hollywood area? Oh, babe. Erica Schickel and I will be at the West Hollywood Book Fair at 1.15 on Sunday. We are doing a by invitation only salon that night and we're doing the luncheon society. What day is that? Wednesday night? Anyone can come. It's at the Napa Valley Grill in Westwood Wednesday night call. Miss is the author of the memoir, You're Not the Boss of Me, Adventures of a Modern Mom. Her book will be on sale. My book will be on sale. We will evince an intense sex vibe. We're both very tall and good looking. We will answer all your questions and burn the fucking room down. Thank you. We have a question in about- back. Boss. Yeah, I question. You were saying that, you don't know, on the computer, you don't read the news, whatever. I was wondering how getting out of like, book places like this and talking to an audience and kind of doing all that kind of interaction you're writing from. I dig it. Brother, I digs it. You know why I dig it? I'm alone a lot. I think a lot. I am like a dog who chews and chews and chews and chews at his chain and finally succeeds in biting through and gets to go out, kill cats, and roam. That's what it's like. That's why I'm happy to be here. Does anyone want to ask me why I write? In my art or sullen craft, exercised in the still night, when only the moon rages and the lovers lie abed with all their griefs in their arms, I labor by singing light, not for the strut and trade of charms upon the ivory stages, but for the common wages of their most secret heart. Not for the proud man apart do I write on these spindrift pages, but for the lovers Their arms round the griefs of the ages Who pay no praise or wages Nor heed my art or craft Dylan Thomas God bless you. Thank you for coming.